Welcome to Life on the Road. This is going to be our first official episode. This is Coach Scott Bolwich along with Alfonso Key. And we are excited about this podcast, about this journey that we have in front of us because we get a chance to talk to different coaches about their life journey as a coach from where they started to where they've been and where they're at currently and what their plans for the future are. So without further ado, I will let Coach Key introduce and bring in our first guest. Well, Coach Bowways, I'm excited. Our first official show and part of the process, Coach will tell you his journey step-by-step, step, but just a little prefix on Coach, a dynamic player um, from the Louisville, Kentucky, uh, a star high school player, All-American, a state champion in high school, then goes stays locally to University of Louisville and wins again a national championship for Denny Crump. So he has great basketball experience as a player. Then in the coaching ranks, um, very diverse from mid-major to high-major assistant coach University of Louisville. Um, three NBA um, coaching stints as an assistant with major roles, also a scout for Utah Jazz, also an NBA playing career. So in between, coach will get a chance to communicate with you with some of the behind-the-scenes stories that you don't hear anywhere else. Looking forward to hearing that. He's a great storyteller. He's a great talker, and he's excited to share his experience on his journey, Jerry Eves. And our special guest today needs no introduction to us, but for those who don't know the man, the myth, I guess we have to call him the brand now. Yes, he is. Uh, Eve Sports Radio Show. One of our mentors for both Coach Key and I is the one and only Jerry the Brand Eves. How are we doing today, Coach? Can't complain. At least you didn't put me on the small bus. Dang, you could have said the third grade reject also, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> be on your show. Hello, Coach Key. How you Coach doing, Coach? Hey, thanks to your sister, you got your degree from Louisville. Without a yes. doubt, her name's all over it. <laughs> all over it. I tell people all the time, never should have my name on it. Should have been Donna Thawita Eves, all over that. Piece of I'll it. take it. I'll take it, Al. <laughs> so, they don't know it. My name's on it. I took it. Yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> Whatever we have to do to get it done. Find a way, necessary. Find a way. So again, we're we're so happy to have you on. And the purpose of this is to let people and coaches know the journey that our, our guests have had, you know, throughout their coaching career. So, you know, we're not going to go into your playing career from playing at Louisville National Championship, NBA career. We're going to hop right into your coaching career. So, High school championship. And and you know, Kentucky State Hall Nation. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Kentucky State Hall of Fame going in this weekend. This weekend, yes. So, uh, again, you. you know, so so many honors outside of coaching, but you know, we're going to just focus in and, and dive deep into your coaching journey. So, where and where was your first coaching job, and what actually got you into wanting to be a coach? Okay, uh, it started with Butch Beard living in Louisville. And when I was at University of Louisville, I think the year after we won it, 1981, there was a big, huge party at the hotel called the Gold House. And Coach Beard was in the summer. And of course, they had the Louisville team there. And I was one of the team. And Butch Beard was there with his wife. First time I'd ever really spoke to Coach Beard. And I said, Coach, 
when I get done playing, I want to get into coaching because at that time he was the assistant coach for the Knicks. No, okay. so, Knicks. He's like, okay, okay. He was like, yeah, yada, yada. He said, here's right. number. we'll stay in touch. So that's 1981. Okay. And after that, Coach Beard went on to doing the announcing with the Knicks and more TV and different jobs, assistant coach with the Nets. And I just continued following his career. So after I finished playing through 86, uh, I went into working in Dallas, Texas from 86 to 88, 89. And my broker, Walter Booth, you all both know his son because he played for me. He called me from Washington, D.C. and said, hey, by the way, I said, what? Well, he said, Coach Beard's getting ready to get the Howard job. I said, no, he isn't. He said, yes, <laughs> he is. I pulled that number. I don't know how I found that number, but I found that number. From seven years back, I called that boy. I said, I heard you getting a job. He's like, I don't even know if I've got the job yet. I said, I'm coming. <laughs> I don't even know if i got a coaching position for you. I said, I'll be there. What hotel do we check in? You didn't Tuesday. ask him, Coach? You, didn't, you said you're coming. Hell you no. didn't say. I was worse than you, Al. I took the I, job. <laughs> I was there at 5 in the morning with two, 430 waiting. Exactly. Remember, I ran up the press conference. Al, I took the job. I beat him to the Howard Inn. That's where they say, I checked in the Howard Inn with my credit card before Coach Beard did. When he no got there, he said, your assistant coach is here waiting. I swear <laughs> to you. He's like, this is crazy. He says, I don't even know if I got two coaching positions. I said, well, you got to find a way. That's how I got it. <laughs> I yeah, it uh, in Dallas. Oh, that's the greatest story I've ever heard. That's the truth. Y'all got to get Coach Beard on. That's yes. I beat yes, him Cross country. I was living in Dallas, Texas. Wow. Well, see, people think, Coach, they think you played a great player, national champion, NBA. They said they thought you, you finished, you automatically fell into a job. Had no. no idea you had to stronghold and almost impersonate um, no to find a way. That, what were you living? You, what were you living at the time? I was living in Dallas, Texas, working for Southwestern Life Insurance Company. Only job I ever had my entire career. I worked there for about two and a half years, met my wife. But that's the only job I've ever had to where it was legitimately a job. Eight to five, downtown Dallas, commute. You know, Breaks. it was a yeah. true job. But no, as soon as he got it, I was gone. Quit and said, I, hey, it, I told my, I called in, told him I quit. You won't see me no more. Bye. And hadn't signed a contract yet, Scott. Exactly. I was out. <laughs> wow. So how was that first experience coaching uh, after being away from the game for a while? Retired in 86, came back from the Philippines, and then got into coaching 89-90, so about a three-year period. But all that I was doing in Dallas was going to all the pro games because all of my friends would come in to play the Mavericks. Okay. So I was going to games three nights a week during the winter, okay, three nights a week. I also was scouting for the Utah Jazz, Scotty Layton, who everyone knows, Frank Layton's son, been the general manager of the Knicks and the Timberwolves. Hired me to scout. I did the Southwestern Conference. So I was able to keep my hands in the game, which was a lot of fun. Made a little money, not a lot, but still was able to follow the game. And, of course, I watched all the college games. So mm -hmm. I was ready to go. The minute I heard Coach Beard had it, I told him I'm ready to go. I still had my recruiting contacts from Louisville, which I did. And I knew a lot of people in the business. And one mm -hmm. thing led to another. It was over. I mean, honestly, he never got to say what my salary was going to be. I left him money. And the only job was a 24500 job in Dallas, in Washington, D.C. I stayed with Butch. We had an okay. apartment. I stayed with Coach Beard. His family wow. was in love because I couldn't afford it, but I wanted to get into coaching that bad. That's how I got that in. Bad. 
Back. Found a way. Found a way. Coach Ease, I wanted to ask you this on this journey. I didn't realize that. I know you scouted. What was that like, just scouting, being a player that close to the game, your eyes, like what were you looking for and what was your job reporting back to the uh, organization? Okay, I would go to a lot of SMU games because I lived in Dallas. It was about okay. a mile from my home. But I did all the Southwestern Conference. So Baylor, I would go to all the time, Texas A&M. I could mm-hmm. fly. You know, they, I had access to go where I needed to go, Texas, and watch people play. So it was a lot of fun. Secondly, it just – people recognized me from playing. So from mm-hmm. being a national champion in 1980 to going mm-hmm. to, to then being back in the gyms with the Jazz, you okay. know, it, was like, it was like a natural fit. So okay. I enjoyed it. Um, watching players, I always thought I had a, an eye at it. I was pretty good at it. Excellent. And guys, I'm sorry. Baby, you got to do something with Savage. It's my dog barking. But I really did enjoy it and only scouting. Okay. So it was fun. I mean, it really was. You didn't have to take it home with you guys. Mm-hmm. All you had to do was go scout mm-hmm. and straight relax afterward, turn in the report. They'd send you a couple of dollars. You'd book your next scheduled game and go to it. No problems, no headaches. Didn't have to figure anything out. I really enjoyed it. But I did want to get into coaching. So Coach Beard got the job. Howard University, I'm so grateful that I had a chance to go there. Everybody knows it's an HBCU. Changed my life. Yeah, changed my life. And, you know, after that, I've done North Carolina A&T. I'm at Simmons College, Kentucky, right here in Louisville. Now I'm the athletic director there. I've done over 20 years now with HBCUs, and I'm so grateful that I had the chance to do it. No question. That, that is awesome, Coach. That's great. And so from Howard, you know, how many years did you spend at Howard? Four years. Our second year, uh, we took Howard to the tournament, Coach Beard's okay. team. Second year, we go to the tournament, Kansas beats us. And then two years later after that, I had taken a job with Indiana State with Sherman Dillard. Okay. And probably a month after that, Coach Beard leaves Howard and gets the New York, the New Jersey Nets head coaching job. So I stayed at Indiana State about two and a half months. How lucky is that? And next thing you know, I'm flying into LaGuardia, a big city, and I'm an assistant coach with the Nets, and it was like that. So (laughs) I went from 24500 to real money. really, Just like that. Just Just like that. that. And like you said, it's not even a job. It's just naturally flowing. You're a leader. And Indiana State, that was in the, what, early 90s? Yes, Indiana State. I was there in 90 – well, I would have been there in 94, 95. But it's funny. You know, I left. I left. I never coached a game. I probably they recruited me, coach. I got mail from Indiana State during that time. Terra Hope. Terra Hope. Yeah, I got terrible Hope. I would have yep. wrote you. <laughs> 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 yep. At that same time, coach, how small the basketball world is. Yep. Wow. So how was that? And experience? three months and left. Now, mm-hmm. how was that experience jumping from Howard straight to the NBA? That was crazy. I mean, because. We're pinching pennies at Howard. I mean, as you all well know, we're pinching pennies. We're driving from D.C. to Texas to scout, okay, driving. Stopping in Louisville, watching some games, driving all the way down to scout. I mean, we drove everywhere because we didn't have the money. to. Because Beard drove or you drove? No, no, oh, let me tell you. But y'all want a funny story now, or do y'all want me to hold? I'm, it? I'm sorry, we'll wait. We got, we got. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna hold that one. I'm telling. I got a funny story in the world. Y'all gonna die. <laughs> That's why I gave you two such a hard time with driving. But we'll sure did. I drove one. all over the country. Yes, but no, I drove. And we drove everywhere. Two, boom, I'm doing the scouting slash assistant coach. So I'm booking all the games because I was the band scout. 
I would go to Miami four or five days before we played them. Then Atlanta, send my reports back, meet the team in Miami, watch the game, get back on a plane, fly the next game three or four days out. So I was gone 20 days out of 30. My wife truly in New York lived off of the per diem we made. And back then we were making $96 to $106 a day. So I was making $2,000 a month in straight per diem. It was was great. I mean, so we went from broke at Howard. I mean, broke to, you know, flying, private planes, just, it was unbelievable. Per diem so much more. We have more per diem than we did recruiting budget at Howard University. (laughs) That's a journey. Mm -hmm. Man, so after, so after we, we leave the Nets, where's our next stop on on the road? Uh, Well, I went to my alma mater with Coach Crum, Denny Crum. That's special. Yes, I was with Louisville from 96 to 99. And I took the job because they had fired an assistant coach for um, inappropriate things with young kids. I took the job. It was a turbulent time. Our very first year, we almost went to the Final Four. That great North Carolina team, and I'm talking about Jamison, Vince Carter. Okay. Oh, that, yeah. I'm oh, real, yeah. I'm yeah. talking about real Carolina. I ain't talking about, uh, <laughs> I'm talking about the real Carolina. Uh, they beat us in Syracuse to go to the Final Four. Oh, that's a big-time matchup. Exactly. So uh, that was our first year there, our second year there. Then, of course, we had some issues. Uh, Scooter McCray had a few issues, they said, even though everything got overturned. And mm-hmm. they gave us the death penalty for a year. We struggled. The following year, we came back, came in first place in Conference USA, tied with Cincinnati oh, wow. this season. Charlotte beats us in the championship game. Then we went on to the NCAA and lost to Creighton. Okay, okay. And that, that I left University. And we were Paul Silas to the Charlotte Hornets, back pro. Okay. Can I back you up real quick? Because we're right now in the whole time of realignment, and you're saying these conferences, and just kind of give me um, just some of the top schools and the conference that Louisville was in when you were coaching there, because this is a whole new world now. Cincinnati, of course, had Huggy Bear. They were really uh-huh. good. Uh, Everybody knows in the North Carolina era, UNC Charlotte was really good back in the day. Yes, yes. Uh, Bobby Lutz, and they were a really good team and played well. And then also you had Memphis. They were really good, as you well know. You had Louisville, and you had DePaul. Had the two really great freshmen. What was their name again? Come on, guys. DePaul had those two fantastic freshmen. Went to the Clippers. Both of them played a long time. Uh, uh, Richardson? Richardson, exactly. Clint Richardson. Athletic wing, yeah. Oh, yeah. All those schools now, Coach, all those schools Mm -hmm. that you name are now in different conferences. Mm -hmm. Chasing the money. Yeah, and it's amazing, but we'll get to that. I'm just amazed that we're talking about the conferences and how they disbanded in Metro and Conference USA, and you've experienced every one. Yes, no question, yes. Everybody's following the money like always. Chasing the money. You said it first. Want to benefit, you've got to have the money. Said it can't first. Can't about it. That's just the bottom line. Can't pretend, you know, can't pretend anymore. No. So, so yeah. Coach, after we after we leave Louisville, where's our next stop for you? Charlotte Hornets. Okay. Paul Stops. Um, really good team. Had a chance. I mean, I really thought we were going to win the Eastern Conference. Uh, we played Miami in the first round. Pat Riley, Lonzo Mourning. Oh, yes. I'm talking about a really good team. Yes. We, and we beat our breaks off them. We beat them <laughs> three games. It was five game series, the very first one. We beat them three games, each game by 30. 
I mean, I, I, I remember that, Coach, because yeah. um, I'm watching on TV, and all I remember the narrative and the commentator saying the next game they'll get together. Yes, and that's what they all thought. Figure it out. Miami's going to bounce back. Yep. Aaron Davis, PJ Brown, Derek Coleman, Campbell, Mashburn. We beat the brakes off them. It was embarrassing. How bad yeah, we beat them. Were then, you guys surprised? I'm sorry, because right, were you guys surprised? Were you surprised to beat them the way you did? Because the whole world yes. was. I knew we were going to beat them. We were better than they were. But I didn't think we'd beat them like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be honest. Baron Davis and David Wesley took it personal with Eddie Jones. Oh, okay. We traded Eddie. Eddie's a great guy from Temple. Right. I loved Eddie. Probably my best friend. When I got to Charlotte, Eddie just took me under his wing. He was he made all the players comfortable with me. I don't know why, but he did. Okay. And we're friends today. But Baron Davis was a monster, guys. Yes. That boy was really good. People just don't know. Baron Davis was Really good. And, and I remember you guys were outstanding defensively. I remember yes. that. I guess I'm watching oh, yeah. from a fan's perspective. And first, you shocked the world. But also, you guys were all year. You defended. So I'm assuming you did some stuff we did, blitz those screening rolls. But how, how, what's the responsibility on that staff? I wanted to ask you uh, on that pro staff compared to Nets and Lumen. What was your primary job? On well, I was a – when I first came to the Nets, of course, I was the lowest on the totem pole, but you had to right. fight to get me there. But I was an advanced scout assistant coach. When I went to Shrey, and, and Paul Silas was an assistant coach. He was the head assistant for Coach Beard. That's how I met Paul. I didn't know that. Just through talking and going through everything, when Paul got the head job, he calls me directly. I couldn't believe it. I'm in Louisville. Yeah. He said, oh, come to Charlotte. I'm like, Paul, you ain't offering me no job at Charlotte. He said, I ain't asking you, but again, will you come to Charlotte? <laughs> no, I don't know. 75 at Louisville in 19... 19- right. 98 yeah. and Paul, Paul offered me 257. I said, Paul, I'll run to Charlotte. I'll be, I'll it'll be another, it'll be another butch beard. I'll be in the house. <laughs> and I was gone. And I was gone. I mean, I just could not turn down the money. I yeah. love home, but it was just too much money. I had to go. Question, no question, no question. So, so when you walked in there with Coach Silas, what what you have to do? What was your job there on that playoff? I board? was the defensive coordinator. We used to oh. talk about it all the time when he was a defensive coordinator for Butch. Okay. And he would say, "What would you do?" And I'd say, "I'd do this differently." What would you do? I'd do this differently. Some things he'd do, some things he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. My second year there, Paul went to Phoenix. So that okay. brought me from scout to full-time assistant coach on the bench, my mm-hmm. second Nets. So then I started to get to implement some things there. We just didn't have the horses with New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay. And of course, Paul gets the job after I think Dave Cowens quits. You all remember? Mm-hmm. In Charlotte. Yep. I was in Carolina. Yep. Paul gets elevated. Paul gets the job, brings me on, and he made me defense coordinator from Jump Street. That's a big responsibility, and, Coach. No question. Well, all I can say is this. The best team Charlotte ever had were the two years with Paul and I. The furthest they ever went in the playoffs was with Paul Silas, Jerry Eves, we had and, and his son, Stephen Silas. We had a great staff. We were really good. And the players were really That's good. Phenomenal. We had a ball. I mean, a ball. But Paul is the one who taught me. Paul was just direct. That's why when my team, it was easy. Paul was direct. If a player got twisted, forget all that, wait a day, wait a second. We were getting straight <laughs> practice, playing. He didn't care. Game. We were going to get it straight now. It never festered, period. It never festered. He was the best at managing good yes. players. You yes. got me? But mm-hmm. he just the Boston Celtics theory, homeboy, we're here to win. 
And if your thought process isn't about winning, then we don't have it. And that's no it. question. But well, you were the same way. You were the same way. He just cut it at the at the heels yeah. and he said, It is what it is. I'll never forget mm-hmm. that. He says, They mm-hmm. can fire me, but I'm doing it my way as long as I'm the coach. Makes and sense. He never gave in to we had Anthony Mason, Derek Coleman. I mean, we had tough players, but he never flinched. <laughs> but we were really good guys. That yes. Charlotte, we should have gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. We should have beaten mm-hmm. Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Boy, it was just mm. With Ray Allen and Big Ray Allen, Tony Cooper. Honestly, people are talking about the three-point shooting now. They just don't know the history of the NBA. Listen, guys, the greatest three-point shooting team played when I played in the mid-90s. Okay. Tony Cooper coach. Tim, Tony Cooper coach, 6'9", three-point shooter left. Tim Thomas, 6'11", three-point shooter. Yes. Big Dog Robinson, all-star. I don't have to say another word. Ray Allen, the lead three-point shooter ever in NBA until Stephen Curry came crazy. And Sam Cassell. Guys, it's the best offensive team ever put together. Everybody's talking about these teams now. There's no comparison to those five shooters, guys. No comparison. That's amazing. And they were more efficient. It wasn't just run to three-point line and transition. Take more volume. That's impressive. Yeah, we lost to them. Carl, uh, George Carl was their coach in the seventh game in their gym in a dog fight. It was so loud. I remember. All at our side by side, screaming at each other. Can <laughs> <laughs> hear a word. All I can see is Paul mimicking to me saying, I'll just F this SHIT and going in the huddle because we couldn't hear each other. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's called real playoff basketball. But most don't experience that. Oh, colleges don't understand NBA playoffs. They don't understand it. Right. Most playoffs are not on college's home floors, guys. Or you'd see it amped up a little. You got to understand. They move colleges from their location. But with the pros, you're at home, homeboy. And your fans, they're off the chain. We played Philadelphia our first year. And the game was at 7. And the first group we left and got there about 430, 435. They were waiting outside for the first bus with the rookies on it, throwing stuff at us, screaming. They were there five hours before. Way oh, yeah. different world. They talk about different it. World. The environment is yeah. totally, totally insane. Yes, insane. Different world. So, yes, pros is another, a whole another level. And honestly, guys, the players are so good. It's just sickening. They're mm-hmm. just that good. To sit on the bench and just go, that's crazy. People are like, how did little David Wesley play in the league? When David Wesley got it going, he didn't miss, guys. Six so- feet. Once he hit two in a row, Paul, look at me and say, they in trouble. David would hit 10 in a row, period. It's, it's, but I remember being with you, Coach. We were down in um, Maitland, Florida, looking at a big kid. And um, we went to the gym, and it was an uh, NBA guard uh, played for the uh, Lakers, played for South Florida. I can't remember his name. Um, he was my 13th guy. But anyway, he would, you guys talk. He was working out. And he said he 500 threes in the morning, 500 threes in the afternoon. And we were just sitting, you know, we were getting ready for our workout. The kid yeah. grew up. I remember crew, other side, he was a student coach. NBA three, like wow, wow, wow. We're not talking about an all star, a yes. starter. He was a thirteenth guy, um, point guard coach. He didn't miss, and just kind of put in perspective how great he was. A thousand a day. That was his summer. We talking about Kobe working. This was a thirteenth guy, so I right. fully understand how great those guys are. Really, no, really idea. good. No, they have. They just have no idea how athletic. How fast, how strong. I mean, Mashburn, whew, 
I mean, that boy worked out like you wouldn't believe. Had a personal trainer. The pre- he flew the personal trainer everywhere, stretched him out. I mean, they were true professionals. And that was true years ago. Yeah. yeah no. and years ago. Yes. And, you know, and I'm saying, I mean, Coach, and I go all day because also you expressed to me when you in meetings just how smart those guys were. You talk about the, how detailed the scout reports were. You say Baron Davis would know Miami's action. And, you know, the NBA kind of has guys are cool, but you said the intellect of the point guards were off the charts. Everyone, again, that concept, the players don't know. Baron Davis knew every Miami play. When they called it out, he called it out to me, and I was yelling to the other guys behind him. He knew wow. every solitary play. And when I didn't have a play right, I'm telling you, BD, timeout. Yo, Eves, what? that was the right call. I mean, that's how <laughs> precise this was. People had no idea. That's why when he went elsewhere, a lot of people said he was hard to coach. I love Baron Davis because he was precise. He knew people didn't right. want to give him the do that he deserved because no, he knew every call, every play where everybody was supposed to be the other team. And if yes. it didn't, he'd be asking you, did I get the call wrong or was that you? And sometimes I'd have to say you got the call wrong. Sometimes I'd be like, that was me. And I mean, that was the conversation, but right. that kid, David Wesley, same way. Mashburn, same way. I mean, P.J. Brown, to the detail. They knew everything. Yeah. Everything. Before we go into the playoffs, P.J. Brown stood up in front of the team and said, hey, regular season is for everybody's contracts. Everybody's made their money. He says, mm-hmm. but right now, this is about winning. Nothing else. You run in and out the game. We don't care if you play 30 seconds. You sprint off because everything matters. Mm. Everybody sat there and said, yep. And I mean, we were we were good to go. I mean, I really thought we'd get to the Western Co- Eastern Conference semifinals. I really didn't play Iverson the year they beat the, went to the lost to the Lakers, won the yeah. first game, and lost four in a row. Yeah, we could have beaten Philly that year. They wow. beat first year. We could have beaten Philly that year. Wow, wow, so, wow. that's incredible, Coach. Now, now, Coach, we're we can we can spend all day on on each team. We could make this probably a three part interview. Yeah, we might have to, my man. Right. Okay. <laughs> We ain't even started to say four-letter words yet. Man, go. <laughs> hey, hey, Scott, remember those deluxe CDs? Like, front yes. and back? It might be a deluxe show, you know, the first one. So after after the Hornets, and, mm-hmm. you know, I found out you told me uh, an interesting story about when you left the Hornets, you know, the, about them possibly leaving to go back to your, your hometown of Louisville. Can you go into that story? Because I think that's a crazy story, uh, when I heard it, I just couldn't believe that it actually almost happened and why it didn't happen. It was just a nutty time. George Sheehan was thinking about, was going to move the team out of Charlotte. And he was definitely going to move them. And Louisville was building the Yum Center where University of Louisville plays. And Louisville was soliciting Charlotte. And Louisville had UPS, Louisville has multiple Humana, multiple Fortune 500 companies. But at the time, Louisville's leadership, and I mean Louisville's leadership, was pushing back, saying that they didn't need a pro franchise. We can fill the Yum Center up. We can do this without them. And they really did not get involved the way they should have. That goes all the way from the mayor to Tom George to Rick Pitino. It's public record that they made statements they did not need the Charlotte Hornets. Public, period. And what a mistake. Because George Shin wanted to bring them to Louisville. Well, when they got the pushback from Louisville, he ends up taking them to New Orleans. That's where they end up going. Mr. Benson bought the team. People don't know New Orleans does not have one Fortune 500 company, not one. Mm. But Mr. Benson, who owned the Saints, 
and right. who owned the Hornets for quite a long time. So he said, I'll buy them, bring them here. And that's what happened. I think he bought them for like 175 million in 2002 or three. No, 2001, excuse me. Now, Michael Jordan just sold the team that got moved back to Charlotte from New Orleans, which was right. the Pelicans, for three billion. Mm. You said three say it again. How much again? Benson three bought five. for 175 million in 2001. He bought the Charlotte Hornets from George Sin, George Sin for about 175 million, right. 2001. Right. Michael Jordan bought it and moved it back to Charlotte. I want to say 910 for like 275, almost 300 million. People were like, whoo, 300 million. Mike yeah. just sold it. He didn't get all the profit, but he just sold it for three billion. Billion. Unbelievable. Wow. wow. So that is incredible. Years, Mike yes, yeah, sold it for about three billion. The Ten Tenfold is three hundred million. It's crazy. But my pay grade that goes. Yep. So we oh. your your involvement with the I found interesting. You uh I guess one of the reasons why you may have been let go from Charlotte was them mm-hmm. possibly going to Louisville. Yes. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, it, Coach Silas had a brain fart. Great guy. But he let Lee Rose and myself go. And again, guys, let's go back. It was the best Charlotte Hornet had ever done in its history. Wow. Wow. Yeah. To this day. Yes. Yeah, no. All the time. Coaches would, you know, complain. I'm like, don't, don't complain to me. I got fired from a job and it was the best record the team ever had. The furthest they'd ever gone. You got me? So I tell yeah. you all the time, you know, uh, I've been doing this too long. You just don't know. And a lot of it had to do because people thought it was a threat. The players were upset about it. I'm not mm-hmm. lying to you. Aaron Davis mm-hmm. West, they were really upset right. with Coach Silas. And if you look at it, he only coached him a year and almost 20% of the following year, they let him go. He lost wow. to his players because he let Lee Rose was a great coach. He coached at Purdue, took a team to the Final Four. Right. Knowledgeable. And myself, who I thought I was a pretty good coach, and I had the ear of the players. I could get after BD without him. You know, he, okay. he could take it personal. I could get after saying him. saying a lot that level. That's saying a lot. You have a major Yes. And he would come on without any issues. My wife would tell you, I had a great rapport. This is funny. Everybody would always give Derek Coleman a hard time. Okay. But Derek Coleman and I were the best. So he was injured. He wasn't playing. And it's our second year. We're really good. A storm was pushing through, coming into Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Calls my wife. And I had two boys then, says, I've rented a small plane. If you want to get on it, come on, we're getting out of here. People would wow. always say Derek Coleman wow. was such a bad guy. Bad wow. People really don't know these guys. Yes, no question. She called my wife directly and said, I'll have a limo pick you up. She said, I'm going to ride it out. And it wasn't bad, but yes, he got out of town. And it was pretty bad, but he made the call and asked Sheila if she wanted to go. Wow. Yes. And, and that is, Scott, I mean, that is the – the essence of this show, I mean, to get that information, you know, everything else is narrative um, driven, but that information behind the scenes, the character and the IQ of a Baron Davis, the humility of a, a Derek Coleman, because that's why. He's a bet. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the perception. Right? Yeah. yeah. Once you got to the crux of the matter, we had great players and we were really good guys. Best team y'all had ever had. We were really good. Well, I was in the state coast, no doubt about it. And on that, you know, I'm in the school system and coaching and, and doing some educating. And same with young people. Like, there would be a kid that no teacher 
get a bad kid, but some have connections with them. And no, not a bad kid. It's just you can't handle it. And exactly. so it sounds to me, NBA, same situation. You know, coach, first, do, do I respect you? You know what you're saying and get mm-hmm. the court. Because I appreciate you sharing that. That's outstanding, Scott. Definitely. And now after Charlotte, where do we where do we go after Charlotte? Do we stay in the NBA? Yes. Got let go from Charlotte. I mean, got let go. Best team they ever had. And, you know, it's so funny. I don't know. I was making good money, but I got a raise to go to Cleveland, but we were bad. <laughs> Don Lucas hired me. I went from, I went from mad to, okay. <laughs> Man. hires me with the Cavs and my wife and I and the boys, we moved to Cleveland like you have to do in the coaching profession and it's cold as it can be. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Like from I used to walk to the game and walk back because it would snow so much in Cleveland. I wow. thought, I'm out to drive. So I said, <laughs> downtown Cleveland and would work back then, quick and loans now. But yes, that's uh, that was the next stop was the Charlotte Hornet. Uh, from Charlotte was the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. And got around, got yep. fired a lot, got hired a lot. I tell people all the time. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't got fired, you have a coach. You, you, you have a coach yet. No, you haven't. Yeah. People have no idea. Exactly. And then so we go from, from Cleveland Cavaliers and now. This is where we, we get back to HBCUs, correct? And this is North Carolina A and T State a- University. Aggie Pride. <laughs> Aggie Pride, baby. Aggie Pride. Loved it. I so, mean So how it. was how was you know you you worked your way up from mm-hmm. from going from Howard, where you mm-hmm. had basically nothing, and then to the NBA, to Louisville, to you know, back to the NBA, and then, then you go back down. As far as the the money goes, when it comes to you know salary is going to be different, but you're talking about the the everyday things of like the recruiting budget and travel. You know how much of a change was that? I mean, we were broke. Coach Key would tell you we had to put the drawstrings in our pants. I mean, we had no door on our locker room, but again, lost the bad boys. Exactly. Well, that was everywhere. But again, it was the first time that I had full control of my program. I loved A and T. You know, if I had to, if I could choose one again, I'd choose A and T, because that was yeah. the first time that I got full control. If it went well, good. If it went bad, good. But it was all on me. So I really did. And we took it at a turbulent time. It was really, really down. I mean, really down. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have any money. We had to do it. We had to persevere. And you know, we had a lot of great players. Coach Key, you know, we went through a lot of great players that just yes. couldn't handle the record. The regiment of work going yeah. to North Carolina A&T and going to school and just handle the environment. People are like, oh, little HBCU. They just didn't know if North Carolina A&T was in Kentucky, it'd be the fourth largest school here. You'd have Louisville, yeah. Kentucky, Louisville, Western, which is just a little bit larger. A&T, right. a lot of kids handle A&T. It yeah. was and people wanted to give it credit for. No question. Um, Not a pride. No, it, it was. And, and you came no in, question. obviously, I know, but you just didn't change the program, man. You put young men on a whole different mindset, even from our dress code, from our conversation. So you didn't only rebuild the program. You had young males of all races, but African-American males, and you just put them on a different path, coached as well. So you were the best thing ever happened to A&T, vice versa. Yeah, no, I mean, the suits were big. Coach Beard did that. So when we traveled, you remember, we'd have suits. Yep. And if we got up really early, we'd let them have a sweatsuit for a second. But, you know, some of the guys would 
They would try to see if they could get away with it. You'd have to tell them, put the suit on, I'm cutting you. It's one of the two. Make the decision. But that was Paul Silas, honestly. He always left the decision to the player. I still do it today with hiring my coaches here at Simmons. When I deal with the players, I just give them two choices. They're both mine. You just choose, but you're going to choose now. We're not going through this. You're going to choose, be a big boy, choose now, or do it my way. But you choose. I love it. Choose. That's just the bottom line. And that's, you know, you can see a lot of them would rather fight with you. You know, we had a little bit from Jacksonville. You know, they'd want to argue with you. It's like, no, 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 no. Just make a decision. What you did was you took yourself out of it. Exactly. Exactly. it back on them because if they put you in the middle of that, that becomes all the focus of the animosity. That's the excuse and escape. But I should love, it. I was with you right next year. I loved it. I took it with my programs. It's that simple. And I'm fine either way. Either way, it's your choice, but you're going to choose. Guys, here so bad. I had a parent here at Simmons, girls program. I lost my women's coach. He is assistant coach now at Marshall. Did a great job. Almost won it last year. First okay. year. Did a great job. So, but he had players that had issues that he was going to take care of, but he ends up taking another job. So I hired his assistant and I wasn't about to put his assistant in the middle. So I had to get in the middle of the issue. And there were three of them. So I brought each one in individually and two of the parents were straight perfect with them. I gave their Mm -hmm. kids an option. This is what you do when you do X, which was one, their swear word, speak out of, speak with tongue. I'm going to cut you. Mm-hmm. I had a parent, a daddy, you know, and you're getting the emotions of the game and I'm sitting there listening. And, Don't you think you're being a little severe? I said, no, sir. I said, I'm telling you this now. This was end of May. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think I'm being too severe, you move your daughter. Yeah. I'm telling you what I'm going to do. So yeah. I think I'm doing you a favor because no, I'm telling you what I'm going to do now. And if you send her back and she yeah. does X, I'm going to cut her. It's on you. I you time so that if you think it's too severe, you mm-hmm. move. You no question. Start. No don't question. Try to curtail what I'm going to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to do what I'm going to do. So and I hate mm-hmm. to tell you guys, I'm waiting. I'm pretty, I really believe I'm going to end up cutting the girl. I hope not. I'm going right. to meet with the, end, the whole team. But, yeah. guys, it's real simple. I'm yeah, an I'm animal. Standard. So, I'm so coach, I, I, have, I, have a, I have a question about this. Uh, so, you're telling me you're you're having a problem with uh, someone's language turn the game. Without a doubt. <laughs> yes, without a doubt. Well, I'm a Christian. I've also heard of a, a rumor uh, that you've been kicked out of, of, a, of a few Christian games. <laughs> Just one. And that, was, that, that was in the beginning, Coach. But, you, you know, the unique thing is, Coach, is you're unique. Most people in leadership nowadays, they don't do what they say. So right. you understand that student athlete's been around a plethora of, of coaches, travel, where they talked it and then back it up. And I know you personally, so that's becoming more unique, standing on your leadership. And I've seen you do it firsthand, like Not in the middle of the big job. Yep. But that's life, though. That's life. And you learn that there. I won't say a name, but Al, you recruited him. And that boy could play from Greensboro, but we're not going to say his name. And his dad called me and said, can't we give him a second chance? And I had drug tested the kid. You remember how, how you yeah. too, Scott. Yeah. And I said, you, yeah. you must not care about your son, but 
I'm not planning. Yeah. And they wanted to fire me. They wanted to hang me like Dean Smith with the dog <laughs> from three, year three. You remember? But I wasn't going to play him. I said, it, it is what it is. But I said, that's that's road, yeah. we're going, I'm going to be able to look him in the face yeah. and he's going to know that I did the right thing, not about job or winning, but about him. So I told the parent, I really do want to cut my best players now. I don't coach anymore. I'm just AD. But when I was mm-hmm. coach at Simmons, I told the guys all the time, my best player, I want to suspend you bad. I'm going to make you sit right next to me. But I want to mm-hmm. suspend you bad because I'm going to make the team win without you. That's the first thing. I'm going to make them win without you. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, I'm going to show you that this band goes on. It doesn't stop. It's not Always. about so I, I told him honestly, please make my day because I want to. I tell him first day, I want to suspend. Right. That's yeah, a life lesson. Life lesson. Where we at, Scott? I think a lot of coaches uh, really sacrifice their principles and their values for the win. Mm-hmm. For the win, you know, especially if you're struggling and you may have yeah. <laughs> you They'll may have a, uh, a contract on the line. And mm-hmm. you're, you're struggling against a particular school and you suspend a guy for the game. And then all of a sudden at halftime, he's in his uniform. Yeah, I've seen that before. <laughs> Al, you were going. You were taking it, Al. No, I was there. I no, was there. I, 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 yeah, God, we were sitting before the game looking at him and what's the name? We saw it and he was the yeah. the trap. And then all of a sudden halftime, what? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I was there because I, I did my scout. I, I was they bring him off the bench. No, guys, it's a comical world to watch just the things that goes on now in college athletics. But there's so much money involved now, guys. People compromise because the money is so great. It just people compromise because it's just the money numbs them to doing the right thing. But we see now the NCAA is the same way out. They'll do anything for the money. And I'm telling you all today with this realignment, you're talking about what are they going to do with all the regular sports? I'm telling you today, nothing's been ruled. Football and men's basketball and women's basketball will travel across country. The rest will have regional schedules. Wow. I've been telling people that all the time. I hate to tell you. They'd call into my show and go, how are we going to pay the soccer team? And how are we going to pay the softball team? And I would tell them, nothing from nothing is nothing. Well, now they're going to see the schools are going to tell them nothing Mm -hmm. from nothing is nothing. And you'll see them limit their travel to regional play, which it should be. And only the big boys making the money. Football, basketball, women's basketball, we'll do any of that trap. You'll see. That, that makes all economic about sense. All about the money. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Coach, we have a, a few more segments left. Okay. And this is a part of the segment we, we've decided to name No Disrespect. Okay. And the reason is because somebody's not going to make the list. Okay. And so we're going to do for you your top three coaches that had the biggest impact in your coaching career. And – Actually, on and off the court. So three coaches that, that you've come across, you may have you know worked for them or just come across that have had the biggest impact on your coaching career and, and possibly your personal career, your personal life. So no coach when I was playing, only when I was working. At, at, any, at any time, playing, coaching. Um, yeah, you know, whatever this, aspect. This, coach, this is whatever. a coaching show. High school. Okay, well, I, I got to throw my high school coach, Richard Smith, in. For one reason, um, I was a naturally better football player, like my older brother who signed to Kentucky. Okay, that's amazing. Not blowing smoke, and guys, yeah. I was a pro football player. I was good, really yep. good. My brother came back from the service. My older brother, who went to University of Kentucky, was supposed to be the first black quarterback there. 
He said, if you ran one more touchdown in Gray Wild, I was going to run out of stands and tackle you myself. Wow. <laughs> Dad stopped me when I went to the seventh grade. He said, no more football. And, you know, I'm sitting there going to my dad, you must be out your damn mind. No more football. <laughs> I said, you crazy. And, I mean, I didn't play another day. And thank yeah. God that we found out about CT and all the crazy things. Right. He was wearing yeah. his table. He forced me. So I had yeah. to start to – I was a basketball player, could play. Yeah. But it was my second sport. Mm-hmm. And I wow. had to start to work. So I'm going to okay. give my high school coach a lot of credit because I had to learn skills, okay, right okay. hand, okay. and pedestrians, understand the game to the level to where you could improve. I just was fortunate enough. My brother was 5'10", who signed to Kentucky. Well, then, you know, I was 5'10", in ninth, probably eighth grade. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I got fortunate to where God blessed me to where I was big enough, and I had ball handling skills. So mm-hmm. basketball, for me, was a taught trait. Like, wow. like I didn't fall out of it saying I'm an NBA player. I had to go to work at it. So I've got to give my high school credit coach first because he's the one who started putting the pieces together for me physically and mentally, making me work my right hand through the chairs, wearing the goggles, all the things I had to do to improve because Mm -hmm. basketball was a decision to be good. Football, natural skill. But basketball was a learned trade for me. So I'm going to give him credit. I got to give Denny Crum credit because he's the one that, as a player, status quo. Don't ever let them know if you're up or down. After mm-hmm. a game, you know, we'd go in the locker room after a game, and you all know I would do whatever I had to do with as many right. four letters as I could. But when we left, we were put on a movie where we are going to go eat. If yeah. they saw me outside after, they wouldn't have known if I won or lost. That and is so that's true. Denny Crum's influence. You know, that's there was just a huge influence on don't ever let them know if you're rolling so we had that winning streak you remember Roy Williams said to us Al we were together mate you were coaching at another school maybe in your head coaching job at Fayetteville but maybe not but I was sitting next to Roy Williams in Orlando recruiting he said mm-hmm. I was going to see who was going to win the most games in a row remember we won like seven or eight games in a row conference yep. in a row yeah yeah yep. I, said, I said well I guess you did he did he ended up winning like 10 or 11 yeah but yeah it was still just an impression that Roy Williams was following what we were doing, mm-hmm. but even if we had lost seven in a row. When I left the games with the players, I yeah. got to the family members, but I tried not to show it win or yeah. loss. You no know, question. You were the same. Just keep it. But when practice started the next day, you know, we were going to get back at it either no way. But yes. I would try to, and that was Denny Crumb's influence. And then the third, without a doubt, is, I mean, Coach Beard didn't – I beat him there. He didn't even offer me the job. Yes. And he was the one who taught me the work ethic to yeah. watch every second of tape. You got mm-hmm. me? Every video. We're falling asleep with the remote in our hand. I'm like, but can we go home? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. No. We're yeah. there after games three in the morning. Just yeah. like, run that tape back. This is at Howard. Run it mm-hmm. back. Run it back. So Details. when he goes to New Jersey and they hire me, I already knew how to cut the tape. Mm-hmm. So we go, the guy's name was Mitch. Which is like, I'm gonna give you a crash course. So you gotta give me diddly. I know what to do. I know how to cut the tape. So I was Ooh. cutting the offensive tape, the defensive tape, the transition, giving it to Paul Sounds in them. I knew what I was doing because I had worked with Butch. It was easy. So those were the three, no question. Paul Silas and John were great, different level. Got me. I yeah. was already established as a coach. I had mm-hmm. knew what I wanted to do. I wasn't being molded. I was hired 
to do a job. And if I didn't do it, we'd have gotten fired. I mean, I got mm-hmm. fired. The best team Charlotte ever had. The wow. first ever gone in the tournament and, wow. and, and it was the year I got fired, but they hire you there to produce something a little different in okay. college. They might help you grow you groom yeah. you, but in pros, mm-hmm. you got to come to your job. I think that's, that's phenomenal. That's great. So, those are the three. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a, a tremendous three. It is. And the reasons and, why were even, even better. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And you know, that, I think that's something for coaches, you know, to really, be able to, to take this and understand they need to soak up as much as they can from every coach that they may work for. Because yes. you just never know what you're going to take away and, you know, when you you're become need a head it. coach. Yeah. Right. When you become a head coach, you're going to have to do things your way and really just take bits and pieces from, from your journey. Yes. So, And this takes us to the last segment, which is our, our favorite segment, Coach. This is a story that you can tell and we don't need to to mention any names okay, okay because we we know that everyone in this coaching profession their first name is coach okay, so exactly. with, without saying any anybody's name give us a funny uh travel story recruiting story practice story uh anything you can say without using the coach's name just call them coach <laughs> it's not funny if you don't say the name, Scott. Hey, coach. Hey, coach. You can do what you want to do, but yeah, I got definitely the statue of limitations are off. There's two. I got to give you two stories because I, coach, you the man, coach. Nothing changed. We're playing. I'm a player for the Utah Jazz, and the funniest coach in the history of the NBA is Frank Layton. Right. Got me. <laughs> Frank Layton. Denny Crum was laid back. But you still wanted to be successful. You wanted to win championships. You wanted to go pro. So there was pressure in college. Even though Denny didn't present it, there was pressure. Right. Frank Lade was the first coach that it was fun. I mean, you wanted to go to practice because you he was going to make you laugh. Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're in the game. We're in the Silverdome. And Isaiah has talked about this publicly. Scott, you know it. I don't know if you know. But – Isaiah spoke about this publicly on NBA TV numerous yeah, times. Okay. I'm cooking his little ass. And I mean, I'm cooking. Yeah. <laughs> a guy that sat right behind the bench that had a funny hat on, black gentleman, that would just crack and crack and crack. And he was funny. Right. And he cracked on all the coaches and all the players. So, you know, he's cracking. Eves, who are you? Come off, come off Mars. You know, you can't play this well, blase, blase. Frank Layden turned around and started to lay into it. He laid into his outfit. He laid into his apple hat. He said, I see better hats on clowns and circuses. I mean, in the game. In the, the game. Laughing. We're in timeouts laughing. Isaiah Thomas is down there. They're like, you can't stop Eves. I'm cooking him. We're walking out. I'm laughing, coming off the bench. Phil Johnson. In the NBA game. Oh, in an NBA game. Phil Johnson's like, come on. Get back with it because it was a big win for us our first year. We beat Detroit at Detroit. Mm-hmm. Puka, that group. <laughs> We're walking out just dying. The refs are like, what's going on? It was a dialogue going back and forth between Frank Layton and a brother. If you all Google it, you'll see him. <laughs> a funny guy. Frank Layton killed him. At the end of the game, there was probably eight, nine, ten thousand people in the Silver Dome. They gave Frank a standing ovation at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Frank took a bow. We won the game. 
And Frank Layton is bowing to the fans because he tore the brother up behind the bench. And I mean, he tore him up. Here's another story. And, and you have to, it's just crazy. We're not that good our freshman year. Adrian Dantley got hurt. We had a lot of players get hurt. John Drew went down. So I get an opportunity to play, which was great. Frank walks on the bus late in Golden State. And, you know, we're never late now. You get fined. Yeah. We're making any money back then. He walks on the bus and he looks at all of us and we look at him and he's standing dead on the bus. And we're like, okay, we're going to leave. He looks top to bottom, looks at all of us. He says, y'all group of sorry some bucks, right? He says, you know, Man. I don't even like you some SOBs. I mean, he's really cursed out. We looking at him like, what? He said, you know what? Y'all. We're like, what? And ran his fat ass off the bus back into the hotel room. Go. We didn't practice. We said about three minutes. We got all busted out laughing. He's waiting around the corner in the lobby. We come off. He's crying. We're like, we ain't practicing. He said, I wanted to know how long you stupid son of were going to find out. We ain't going to practice today. We all bust out laughing. Frank was the best. And we oh. State. We beat our brakes off them. It was a shoot around. It was 11 to 12. What our shoot around did a game. We oh. beat brakes <laughs> off Golden State. I mean, we beat them so bad. We had a ball. Frank was funny. Now, Paul Silas, he's another level. Frank never messed with the players. Paul Silas would mess with the other team's opponents. So good player going on. And he we talk about Reggie Miller now. Yeah. Reggie's clanging it. This boy's missing. He's getting over. I mean, the Davis brothers are picking for him, and he's just off. He's missing. Paul's on the bench every time he shoots it. Clang, brick. (laughs) No joke. Reggie's running by him. You mother, he said, Oh, motherfucker, me, you clanked. <laughs> the other day, we're over there, Steve and his son and I. Don't get Reggie mad. Don't get him going. Reggie's shooting bricks today, and I'm letting him know it. Reggie come back down the floor. He was yelling at him, Throw it to Reggie, Mark Jackson. He's going to brick it. <laughs> he shoot it up our back. We're dying. And he uh. did not get it going now. We played him in Indianapolis. I went three weeks later. He walked up to our coaching staff and says, this is my night. Oh, he let us up. <laughs> but in, when we were at home, I mean, we had tears in our eyes. It was just oh. that funny. He yelled at him the entire game. Uh-huh. He was playing brick. He said all kind of funny things. He's like, man, what are you building out there, Reggie? It was just, and Reggie was heated. Because Baron Davis was going at his tail, too. I mean, we were good now. So right. we had a good team, and he got in Reggie's skin, and Reggie was so mad. Oh, man. Larry Brown was mad. I mean, the, they were all mad. <laughs> it was funny. It was really, That's really, really funny. That's plastic. That is plastic. But, I mean, Paul was so funny, and he did it all the time. He said Red Arback used to tell the other team's players, too, you know, what did you show up for tonight? You know you're getting busted. <laughs> <laughs> What you doing here? You got to get busted. So then we go in as coaches with Charlotte. Paul says, we were good. That's Rick Pitino's year. He said, boy, this is a piece of cake. He says, because if they were good, they'd have the windows open in the damn locker room and we'd walk in, it'd be 15 degrees. He said, <laughs> no good. They don't do that anymore in the old Boston Gardens, guys. <laughs> oh, man. I'm getting ready to do a show, Butch and I, on NBA arenas and what okay. 
think things that would happen. And the Boston Gardens, oh man, y'all have no uh, idea. That, we definitely tune into that, Coach. Oh, Bart, uh, yes, you got to. Scott, Bart, Scott, this is hilarious. I want to add one more thing, Coach. We talked about your coaching career, you impacted us, but also um, currently, uh, outside being an AD, just with your media, your sports radio show, give us a, a background on that, how you started, what's going on with it, all the dynamics of that esports sure, radio. Guys. It's just funny again, you know, how Coach Crumb influence. I'm here, Anthony, we left Greensboro, brought him back to Ballard his senior year, my youngest son. So I'm working for Mike Vine at Bluegrass Audi. I'm not doing anything. I knew Mike's daddy. I've been with Bluegrass. I bought all my cars from them. They were just giving me money. Anthony was going to Ballard. Seriously, I don't think I sold five cars. <laughs> I'm going in to do a commercial for Bluegrass Audi at WHS, which is iHeart Media, the largest media owner in the country. Mm-hmm. Coach Crum is walking out. It's midday. He and Joe B. Hall had a show from 10 to 12. So so I Guys, I never listened to AM radio in my right. life. I'm going in to cut a commercial to be run on TV, radio, all of them. Then he's coming out. So, you know, we greet each other. What are you doing? What are you doing? He says, I'm going to Idaho. Sit in on my show with Joe B. I said, that sounds familiar. I said, what do you mean, sit in? sit in on my show with Joe B? I never spoke to Joe B. Hall in my life, guys. Wow. I said, okay, I sat there. I didn't go the first day because I'm like, so I show up the second day. His producer named Tony Cruz, he's a good guy now, but he didn't want me to be on the show. I told him, that's not true. Yes, it is. I said, in my show up. I said tell Joe B I'm on. Joe B said, yeah, you're supposed to be here yesterday. Where were you? you wow. Guy. Joe B Hall, great guy. So we do a two-hour show. Joe B introduces me. They had one of the largest radio shows in the city. And it was work went throughout the entire state. So everybody's listening. So I do about six shows over a two-week period. Okay. Last show is a Friday. Then he's coming back on Monday. I had fun. I wasn't thinking about anything. Soon as the show's over, two guys came and looked like Guido. I mean, looked like Guido. Big, strong guys, ball head. <laughs> come with us. I'm like, y'all going to kill me at lunch? <laughs> they take me in a conference room. Whole bunch of big wigs from iHeart sitting there. I'm like... Okay, what I do? Right. Okay, my own show. I'm like, my own show? What do you mean my own show? Do you want your own radio show? I'm like, I never thought about it. Right. I said, think about it. Took about three or four days, went back and said, what do I have to do? Then they beat me. They said, you got to sell your own advertising. I said, right. so, oh, I got to pay you to be on. They're like, yes. I like coaching at first. Exactly. Let me think about this again. I'm like, <laughs> Damn, I got to go raise money, give it to y'all. I might not make a dime and, and do this for free. Right. So, guys, that was 10 years ago. Wow. And they were beating me 10 years ago. But since then, I mean, one thing's led into another thing. I do NBA radio. I'll be on Mad Dog Saturday in New York. One thing led to another thing, led to another thing to where it's now just, you know, flat taking off. But it was a leap of faith again. You know, but again, Denny Crumb, sit in on my show. Ten years later, here I am. That's how that's, it all started. That's funny, Coach, because you're the one that told me, tell Scott, you guys to do a podcast. So it's amazing how it trickles down because it was never never crossed my mind. You mm-hmm. said it, you do have good content. Here we are. So number one. Yes, tell the truth. Hit the the hard topics and 
people will want to listen to you. So that's how this thing got started 10 years ago. I didn't make a dime for six, eight months. I mean, I'm like, what am I doing this for? And I was nervous. You know, you'd never done it. You don't know if anyone's listening. But, you know, as you get more comfortable in things and I mean, it's it's easy. It's stealing money. I've been stealing it my whole career. And this is another job. It's just stealing money. God, that, that's awesome, Scott. Unbelievable. Well, we we appreciate you for putting this bug in our ear. No um, question. I'm getting the whole podcast yeah. started right now. I know you want some uh, some residuals. Uh, I look like without a guy to eat a cut. So <laughs> uh, I can tell you right now that uh, I don't know what the residuals of nothing is. Gotcha. But, uh, your checks in the mail. There it's you coming. go. Nothing from nothing. It'll be some someday. You two gonna be big. I'll be too. I'll be right there. Yeah, baby. Stephen A. Give me my money, Aki. Oh, hey. Coach, we we truly uh, appreciate everything you've done for us. I know yep. Coach Key can can uh, say the same thing, but we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we appreciate you the impact you've had in our lives. Uh, you know, words can't describe and express, you know, what you mean to, to both Coach T and I. And, you know, we're just happy to, you know, to be able to spend a couple years with you on the bench and, you know, take a couple four-letter words from you and, you know, deal with it. You know, like we said, you know, everybody shows love differently. Aggressive counsel. But here's the deal, though, guys. And with you all showing, people need to know, see, because I gave up money for Coach Key because I couldn't have done it without you all. You know, I mean, Scott, yeah. I had to let go of a close friend of mine, Bill Sutton, to hire you because it was a tough job we did. And honestly, the biggest for me accomplishment, we did it the right way. We didn't cheat. We didn't compromise. We didn't give grades. They had to do everything right, period. And it was a hard turn. You know, that Titanic was sinking when we jumped on that mm. thing. out. It was a hard turn. But without you all recruiting, because I hated recruiting, but without you all going out, Finding players, getting them there, letting them know we're going to do it the right way. We yeah. didn't penny to anybody for anything. That's why they were always, how is it so easy for you to give them? You got two choices. It's because we didn't cheat. Yeah. 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 We, anybody, we told the parents the truth every time. Remember every time. Omari Williams. Yeah. Omari Williams was mad in the locker room, Al, after we had won our first game. And you said, can't Nobody's going to be mad in this locker room. It's too hard to win. And I said a few four-letter words, which I hated. But when the dad called Wheeler Brown to AD, Wheeler Brown called me and did you call him them names? Yep. I got written up for it, but I didn't lie. I did. But the bottom line is it was too hard to win. Just yep. too hard. So we were never going to compromise winning for somebody's yep. attitude. And we needed Omari. Six, nine, yep. Could have been a very good player, Al. But the bottom line is he had to go. Mainly winning is too hard to do. And if you want to do it the right way, then you cannot compromise. So without you guys, honestly, because I was running off more players than I kept, as y'all well know. <laughs> I was there. Yep. I was there. And if some of the players that I recruited would have stayed eligible because it was so hard at AMT those first years, yeah. if some of the players we had out would have stayed eligible. Guys, it would have never been year four when we turned it around. We'd have turned it around in year three. We'd have rolled over that league. Yeah. That so, league never saw our best players out. Because right. He couldn't mm. have A&T. You had to yeah. go to class at North Carolina A&T. Teachers yeah, weren't it. anything at North Carolina A&T. Nothing. Not, no, oh, I love not, the place today. I went back to homecoming. A&T did not compromise for winning. The teachers didn't. And 
I love A&T. It was the perfect place for me. God, I definitely uh, – this this has to be number one and number one ease. We need a part two. So, Coach, don't go too far. We'll get you midstream because we need to have another show because we got so much more to cover. But you appreciate that sport. Coach Beard on. Get Coach Beard on. That's where I got all the four-letter words. Hey, well, you pass them all down to me. Um, I'll have okay, some of my okay. staff on. But you did the right way, Coach. We love you and appreciate you, Scott. Definitely. We appreciate your time. And uh, glad you were the first – our first official guest on, on our you podcast. Send me the stream. I want to see it. I want to see it. What a great first episode for us. Yes. And, uh, hope people learned a lot from this. And I can't wait for our second and third and fourth and fifth coaches down the road. So, Coach T, you want to take us out? Well, again, another great opportunity, a great number one and i hope people really understood the professional names experience he's been through but it's been outstanding um phase one is over if you can scott and everybody out there holding the road all right until next time